For most of my life, I have always loved music. It's not an exaggeration. There is actually a photo of me at about two years old when I'm waddling around in my Daisy Duck sweatshirt, grinning as I carry along one of those old school microphone and speaker play sets. Me and that toy were inseparable. So obviously, it's no surprise that when it comes to engaging in public actions or witnesses, I find myself most called to be a song or chant leader. Aside from my love of singing, I love song leading because all of our songs tell stories. Their music speaking truths and touching hearts and spirits in ways written or spoken words cannot. Movement songs, whether we sing them in houses of worship, in our own home, or in the streets, they connect us to each other. They remind us that we are not alone in our struggles and our strivings to create change. Those songs, they connect us to larger movements. And movements now, movements in the past, and movements in the future. They connect us to our comrades in justice, our elders, our ancestors, and the future benders of that moral arc of the universe. And the song, Which Side Are You On, that we heard the story of this morning, is such an incredible example of how the spirit of passionate anger and invitation has lived on and evolved over time in our movements towards collective liberation. Many of us know the song as it was made famous by pro-union folk singers Jim Garland or Pete Seeger, or by its use in the civil rights movement. But maybe less of us know of its origins as the union worker anthem described in our Time for All Ages today. When Florence Reese wrote that song in Harlan County, Kentucky in 1931, I don't think she expected it to reach as far or as long as it has. When her husband Sam faced severe harassment and physical attacks from the Harlan County Coal Company and the Harlan County Sheriff's Department, for mobilizing other coal miners to collectively advocate for their rights, Florence probably didn't expect to become a galvanizing force for the workers then or now. She knew that the sheriff's department, under the influence of Harlan County Coal Company, threatened, attacked, and even killed union members and leaders who were willing to use their power to gain basic rights. She witnessed how, as poor workers organized, police were used as enforcers of the company's goals, violently backing the desires of a corporation bent on denying the humanity of an entire town. So when Sam went into hiding for his life, the police showed up and opened fire on his home, where his wife Florence and their seven kids remained, terrorizing them throughout the night and Florence understandably got angry. She got the kind of angry that clarifies important truths. When she ripped that calendar down from the wall and began writing her song, it was not just about that night. In that moment, she channeled the fear, the anger, the hope, the power, the passion, the faith that she had about the union movement, union movement among Harlan County's coal workers. 
And as we heard today, her words fortified their spirits, told a story that gave voice to their cause, touching hearts and spirits in ways that, again, speeches could not. Her music breathed new life into the organizing of that day and for generations to come. And we know that Florence Reese's song wasn't about compromise or gray areas or finding ways to stay neutral in times of conflict. In fact, she sings quite the opposite. They say in Harlan County, there is no neutral there. You either are a union man or a thug for J.H. Blair. Her words reminded the people who heard them then and now that in a place and time where financial and state power is being used to threaten and kill workers, there is absolutely a right and wrong. Her words are, as another musician once described them, as much an indictment as an encouragement. And that to choose inaction in the face of injustice is an action itself one that is complicit and enables the injustice to continue. The chorus of this well-known song reminds us that there are moments in our lives when inaction no longer comes at no cost, that inaction becomes oppression. Reese knew and wrote those truths, and the organizers and movements that have come after her know as well. There are sides when injustice exists, and we have to make necessary and difficult decisions about which one we as individuals and communities choose. And that is no less true today with the violence and suffering that is so present in our world. From the devastating attacks on bodily autonomy that criminalizes reproductive and transgender healthcare, to ongoing efforts to deny people of color the right to vote, from the violation of international treaties that has allowed pipelines, oil pipelines, to run through treaty-protected indigenous lands, to the continued criminalization of immigration at the border, to the centuries-long state-sanctioned violence against black people through policing, there is so much that is so very, very wrong. And that's just in this country. There is so much violence that we see being done against people and land, so much dignity and worth and humanity of communities that are being violated, so many lives being unjustly and cruelly ended. In the midst of all of this violence, there are sides, and we need to choose which one we are on. See, when we as Unitarian Universalists say that we side with love, we are not siding with neutrality. We're not siding with the gray area. We're not siding with wait and see. None of those are love. Think about it. When we love someone, truly love them, we want nothing but good things for them. We don't want any harm to befall them, and we may do everything we can do to make sure that they are safe, respected, cared for, nurtured, and revered. I know that I personally go all out mama bear on anyone that disrespects someone that I love. You can ask the veterinary technician who for the first and last time called my cat non-compliant. 
Or consider how love in relationships of all kinds, in its healthiest form, has good boundaries. How we honor that what the other person asks us to do and not do to ensure that they feel safe and respected. How we seek consent for anything that involves another person. How our behavior in those relationships is a reflection of our values. How our actions are rooted in a sense of care, compassion, and appreciation of one another's needs. How we strive to hold the inherent worth and dignity of another and make amends when we do something that goes against it or violates it. The way that love shows up in our closest relationships, there are not only an abundance of yeses, there are also essential noes. Love does and sometimes have to say no. In that same letter, Mona El-Tahawi says that our job in the months coming is to yell. We must shout our opposition against injustice. Silence benefits racism, misogyny, and bigotry. We must yell and shout to ensure that no one can ever use the excuse, I didn't know. We must expose injustice. We must name and shame it. We must stay angry because angry women are free women, she writes. Remember, F being nice and polite. Again, she did not say F. These are not nice or polite times. Be angry, be loud, and be free, and find your sisterhood with other angry women. Unite with them, organize with them, find strength with them. What Mona el words remind us is that when we side with love, we are speaking a loud and liberating and proud and glorious no. We are shaming injustice because injustice should be shamed. We are refusing to be silent and complicit in realities that continue to destroy and claim lives and explicitly naming them and then taking away the corrupt value that oppression has held in our society. And that no of love is not just about protecting and respecting the people who are being directly harmed by the abundance of injustice in our midst. It is also about calling back into their humanity, and into our humanity even, the people who are causing or benefiting from the harm. At the National Women's Rights Convention in 1866, one of our Unitarian ancestors, the abolitionist and suffragist Frances Ellen Watkins Harper, addressed the crowd and reminded them that, quote, we are all bound up together in one great bundle of humanity, and society cannot trample on the weakest and feeblest of its members without receiving the curse in its own soul. When we speak about our interconnected web, our inextricable relationship to all of life, the harms we cause to another, they harm our own being too. And as a Muslim raised you, you, I hold on to my personal interpretation of an Islamic teaching that each one of us is born innately knowing God, innately knowing that which is the most good, the most loving, the most sacred. 
And I know that as we move through life, we will stray from that innate knowledge. We will hurt one another. We will disrespect the land. We will take actions that come at great cost to future generations. We will and have. And those behaviors go against and diminish that innate knowledge and connection to that highest good, that highest love. But the damage to our own soul doesn't have to be permanent. Because as Unitarian Universalists, one of our oldest and deepest spiritual practices is covenant. The practice of covenant is not simply the agreements written or spoken within our communities. It is the embodied and responsive awareness that we will mess up. That we will behave in ways, all of us, that cause harm. That do not live into our highest potential. We will behave in ways that not only violate the worth and dignity of others, but violate our own, because they move us further away from that incredibly innate potential to know and love what is good. And I'll be honest, and I know I'm not alone here after Mary sharing, I find that there are people who shall remain unnamed, but might currently hold political office, whose humanity I have really struggled to honor lately whose dignity I no longer put the energy in to try and see because their actions have gone so far against that innate potential for goodness and love that it feels like it's, they've left their dignity behind. And so that know of love is an essential part of our universalist faith because it not only demands justice for the oppressed and marginalized in our world, it also reminds those who have caused harm and violence that they have strayed from their own humanity. The no of love is just as much an indictment as it is an encouragement. And so in today's fractured world, in the midst of all of the trauma and violence we are witnessing, which side are we on? Which side is love on? In her letter, Mona Al-Tahawi reminds that other Egyptian woman to live out her life intersectionally, to know who she is, to refuse to let any oppression deny any aspect of who she is. And this is a battle, a fight that many of us who live with multiple intersecting identities that have been historically oppressed must constantly do in today's world. And it reminds me of another important truth that comes from Audre Lorde. There is no such thing as single-issue struggles because we do not live single-issue lives. And so that revolution of the self, that revolution of our values necessitates that awareness that all of our justice work, all of your justice work at UUCPA has to be interconnected and interdependent. And that's why on our Side with Love Action Center, we center Audre Lorde's quote. That's why in our UU The Vote work, we work with the Environmental Voter Project, because we know democracy and climate are woven together. That's why in our response to the Dobbs decision, our work on reproductive justice necessarily centers trans, BIPOC, and disabled bodies. That's why in our calls to defund police and abolish prisons, they are tied to demands to fund healthcare, housing, education, 
transportation, and other essential services for one to survive. It's why to say why we try and fight not to say that one issue is more important or above anyone else, because we know that the truth is that our liberation is necessarily collective. To side with love is to resist any effort to deny those connections between our struggles, to refuse to be divided in our effort for collective liberation. And that does, in fact, include firmly saying no as much as we say yes, to know and proclaim that there is a right and wrong when it comes to the injustice we see, to refuse to be complicit by remaining neutral, but to take bold stances and to choose a side, a side shaped by our revolutionary intersectional movements and selves. And so however we side in the midst of justice, our actions help free our hearts and imaginations so we can remember how love in its truest form, its most powerful form, shows up in this world. Choosing our side grounds us in the world that we are fighting for, the world our words and deeds intentionally move us towards every day. Choosing our side reflects something that Florence Reese and many who have sung and adapted her song have always known. In the face of injustice, there can be no neutral. And so I ask you, in the face of today's injustice, which side are you on? <laughs>